Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. We're looking ahead to the start of this week's test series between England and South Africa, and we speak exclusively to South African spinner Simon Harmer. We'll also discuss the huge news that Trent Bolt has been released from his New Zealand central contract by his request. Um, and what that means for the future. We'll also catch up with Will Smead after he became the first batter to score 100 in the 100. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The obvious place to start, Harmy, is where I spent uh, four days, Canterbury. The England Lions thrashed South Africa by um, an innings and 50-odd and runs. Now, the South Africans tried to downplay it. First of all, I have to say, to put into context, you know, England A, some seriously experienced players came from all over the country to play in a high-profile warm-up game, only to be told that the South Africans had insisted on playing 13 players. So it had no first-class status, and that did not go down well um, with the England Lions, but they took it out, particularly with the ball, on the tourists um, and with the bat. <laughs> they scored 600 in over 650 in, in just over four sessions, which is quite extraordinary. Brendan McCullum was down there. He gave uh, the batters a pep talk. So um, all in all, the South Africans might well say, oh, it doesn't matter, it was only a warm-up, but they got absolutely thrashed. It did, yeah, and it was. It's one of them games where I've been calling for for the last two years of what's wrong, not wrong, and it, this is not what's wrong with English cricket. What's hurt English cricket when it comes to the COVID world that we lived in for the best part of two years is that these games didn't happen. These games are going to happen a lot more. England lines have got to play probably seven games throughout a calendar year, and I mean seven proper games, and that is potentially having four unofficial ear test matches overseas in the winter if England can get back to playing you know touring ear tours and proper ear tours you know I remember going on ear tours 
and years gone by and I got injured coming into two of them and yeah, at the time the likes of you know, Ian Ward who had been playing for England you know, and he was in his sort of late 20s experienced players who were, were in these in these teams and it was a, you know, a very very good strong side this is what we need to get back to we need to bridge the gap between first class cricket and international cricket and ear tours are very our ear tours and ear games are very very important I think we could play Ireland in England here against Ireland and over in Ireland as, as, a, as a bridging gap to understand what it's like for these players to play international cricket. So then when they do go into the, the test arena, it's not as a big jump. It's not a big gap and more so for bowlers than, than anything else. Um, and South Africa can downplay. I'm not really bothered about, and I know Dean Algar's had a lot to say about the way England have gone about their test matches in the first four games. And he said he's not bothered about how that Baz ball, if you want to call it, looks like. I'm not bothered about how South Africa played. I've seen a very, very good, experienced, very good England side go and play toe-to-toe against an international opposition. Yes, they might not have had their heads on it, but England have now got a pool of players who can put pressure on this test team and know that if an injury comes, we've got somebody to slot in. And that's what you know the, 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 ear, the ear system is for. And uh, It was great to see. They've continued the method of what Brendan McCullum and, and Ben Stokes wants to play with the bat. Um, and they managed to get 20 wickets with the ball, which is, is always a bonus. And Ollie Robinson, the one that was probably under the most scrutiny, not only did he stand up by getting wickets, I think durability, he probably looked as, as good as he's been probably since he, he first emerged on the test scene. So I think all in all, it was a great exercise for England. And what it was for South Africa, I think if you're an Englishman, you're not really bothered. Okay, well, Lungi Ngidi didn't play in that game. He wasn't one of the 13. Keshav Maharaj was, by the way, and he returned eye-watering figures of one for 169 in 22 overs. And I'll tell you what, um, he was due to do a couple of interviews after that day's play, and uh, he failed to pitch. So um, that he he was hurt. He was bruised. Uh, this is what Ngidi had to say about the result. To be honest, the warm-up games, we... That's exactly how we take them. We take them as warm-up games. I think our biggest thing was the guys that hadn't played in a while to get time on the legs. And, you know, we got what we wanted out of that warm-up game. Um, the result, we don't look at too closely. I mean, we had the same thing in the in the white ball series. Um, I think once uh, there's a, a value on the wicket, all of a sudden the shots become a, di- a bit different. So, yeah, we got what we wanted, and, and that's how we take the warm-up games. All right, not concerned about uh, losing by an innings. Sam Billings had some strong words afterwards. He captained the Lions team, and he said, uh, well, they can ignore it if they want to. But uh, we've just won by an innings, scoring at almost six runs and over. And I think that makes a pretty strong statement, that they can ignore it if they want to. <laughs> they were. It's, it's all heating up very nicely. It is, and I think we might be in for a spicy affair, especially mm. if the big boys play. If Rabat is fit, if Nokia, uh, Nokia is fit, Mgidi's going to play, Marco Janssen, do they play the one or the two spinners? Simon Harmer has got wickets for fun in England over the course of the last three or four years, and Maharaj has just gone for one for 169. So selection dilemmas on South African side, but I think both sides, the most vulnerable part of this test series will be with the bat. Can one side stand up better than the other side? And there's vulnerabilities in, in both batting units at the top. And I think because of that, we could see 30 for three, 40 for four by mm. both sides in this test series because of the ability of the ball. I think the ball is the, the stronger suit in both both teams. And that is only if 
South Africa have got then, and you know their their big guns fit. Kaya Zondo, um, who's um, in line for a place in the middle order, made eighty six in the first innings, and uh, we spoke to him afterwards about what it was uh, about what it was like facing the Lions' attack, and he said uh, he came out with a lovely South, South Africanism when he said. Tell you what, facing uh, Ollie Robinson and Craig Overton, you had to be—you had to have your big boy pants on. Um, so, <laughs> just really face Braun and Anderson. They've, <laughs> they've only got twelve hundred wickets between them. You're all right. Then you, you might have to pu- pull your big boy pants up a little bit, especially with the, the factor of well, what is the pressure factor of of Lords? Does Robinson come straight back into the team? No, no, the team doesn't change for me. Harry Brook, sorry, Harry, you are you are in some form, you are, but unfortunately, you do, not even Harry Brook gets in, and that is that's just showing you where the transformation and the change of of red ball and white ball cricket in this country. I've seen I've seen a lot of Harry Brook on TV. That was the first time I saw him live, and as you know, he scored 140. And all I kept thinking was, uh, South Africa are very lucky that he can't get into the team. <laughs> He's a proper, proper cricketer. He is, and it's, and it's uh, honestly, I, I sit there and I'm thinking, how on earth can I not pick him the form he's been in for the last five months? But when you look at it, the, the, the team picks itself. The only way Robinson comes in is back-to-back-to-back games with a, obviously a 36 and a 40-year-old. He comes in at one of them, one of them spots when... Brendan and Ben feel as though Stuart or, or Jimmy needs uh, to, to come out. But the mantra is of this group, we're going to pick the best team for the next game. And the best team for the next game is uh, a bowling attack of, of Anderson, Broad, Potts, Leach and, and, and obviously Ben when whenever required. I think this team picks itself four from four. And they're going uh, going along a nice way. And it was good to see Ducker get runs as well because I think he might have been close. He might be close of of the one that potentially could go in the opening slot if there is a change in one, two or three. And finally, um, the noises out of the South Africa camp uh, about Basball are very, very grumpy. I mean, Dean Elgar, when you talk about old school, Dean Elgar is the kind of cricketer who still writes with a feather. Mm. You know, I mean, he is old, old school. And when... when, (laughs) So... I think it's all coming from him. It's all emanating from him. And um, like Anrich Norkia was interviewed down in Canterbury about Basball, and he just said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they've, they've all been... Do you know what I, I... My theory is that Dean Elgar somehow has put two and two together and come up with this theory that England's approach to test cricket, playing test cricket like this, is disrespectful. I honestly think that's mm. what he thinks. Well, it's a shame if he does think that. It's, I think it's just a, a, a carry-on from the cross-formats getting closer and closer together. And look, I, I, I think Dean Elgar's huge for this South African side when it comes to the message that he gives out. Obviously, he's the leader and he's a strong leader. Not quite as strong as someone like Graham Smith, but in that mould, I quite like the way Elgar goes about his, about his business. But I think the pressure he's under from a, a batsman's point of view, forget the captaincy, I think he's got to have an unbelievable series, I think, if, if South Africa were to come and win. And when you talk about Basball, I don't even think Brendan McCullen likes it. I really don't. I think no. this Basball word and terminology and the way it is, I think if Brendan... Well, Brendan's already said it, but I don't think Brendan likes it either. So I think he'll agree with Dean Elgar that it is not something that they're going to worry too much about. I think it's just something that they can keep poking South Africa with to say, you know, we're trekking, we're taking the game this way, um, and this is how we're gonna we're gonna come at you. And if you're not at it, if your bowlers aren't at it, we'll we'll make them pu- we'll we'll punish them. And 
but when it comes to it, I also look at it, this this both vulnerable batting units and think, you know, if these both bowling units get the ball in the right area, you can think about going at five and over as much as you want, six and over as much as you want. I think this this bowling both bowling units are very very good, and I think that'll be difficult to do. Okay, finally, quiz question for you to finish the section. If you don't know the answer, we'll get your answer in section two. <laughs> when was the last time England played a 40-year-old in a test match? Oh, wow. I would Probably the test match I played in, and it was his last one at the Oval, I would say, and that would be Alex Stewart in 2003. Very good. Very good. <laughs> I will remember it because I carried him around the Oval. Me and I think me, Fred and Keezy, carried him on our shoulders around the <laughs> Oval with a St George's flag and a stump in the air. <laughs> well, Jimmy, of course, will be uh, the, the next in line. Um, on Wednesday. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Time now to hear from the Essex and South African spinner Simon Harmer, who I spoke to a little earlier this week in Canterbury. I don't suppose uh, you thought this moment would come for three or four years, five, four or five years while you were playing for Essex. Here you are touring England with South Africa. Yeah, it, uh, it feels a little bit surreal um, after having spent as much time as I have here with Essex um, to have the opportunity to play at some of the grounds that the tests are going to be played at. I, I probably didn't think was going to come around in, in my career or my lifetime. So yeah, here we are, an exciting time and, and hopefully there's a few opportunities over the next sort of month or so. The South African way, as Dean Elgar often says, is to play four seamers and one spinner. He's a big fan of playing one spinner, but he broke that mould against the Bangladesh in those two test matches. So I guess you're holding out hope that it can be done again? Yeah, I think so. Um, I definitely think there's going to be opportunity somewhere along the line to play two spinners. Um, and yeah, hopefully my form over the last few years will will count towards that. And, and I think we've shown that we can go with three seamers and two spinners. And with how hot the UK has been over the last few weeks or sort of month or so, I think the wickets are going to be probably more conducive than they normally would be to spin. So yeah, hopefully I can I can get an opportunity and make a difference. Talking of form, um, I was just doing some reading um, and I saw that you've taken 28 wickets in your last two games and I thought that's got to be a misprint. I always kind of uh, knew that somewhere along the line the, the pitches would start turning. Obviously early season in England is, is never fun to bowl on as a spinner. Um, but yeah, the, the wickets at Chelsea started to turn and, and I cashed in big time. 350 wickets for Essex. I mean, are you sometimes... Um, sort of slightly taken aback by the by the numbers that you've put on the board yeah I think I don't really I'm not a stats man and I, and I don't look at at numbers and and so I think it, it probably hasn't hit home exactly what I've done so far um, I've always said to myself that I wanted to try and get to a thousand first class wickets because I don't think there's in the modern age of cricket a hell of a lot of cricketers that have done that and and to have the opportunity and and to be able to do that I think is something that I'll look back at the end of my career on. and But yeah, I mean, Essex has given me the, the opportunity and the platform to sort of rediscover myself and to contribute and take 350 wickets for them, I think is pretty special. How many more years have you got? How many more years do you want? Yeah, I think um, anything over 38 I would, I would be happy with. I think there is going to come a time where I've had enough. I've been playing back-to-back seasons uh, for the last two years and I did it when I initially signed the Colpac. 
Um, so I think it is going to start taking its toll. I think more mentally than than on my body. I think my body's pretty used to bowling overs by now. Um, so I'm going to have to start boxing smarter as I sort of get on. But I'm still incredibly keen and positive to challenge myself and and to try and get better where I can. So while that fire is still burning, I'm I'm still sort of happy to keep going. But yeah, who knows? Things in professional sport change so quickly. So I'm just enjoying my time in the sun while it lasts. One thing that isn't spoken about enough, I don't think, in your case, is endurance and fitness. I mean, you know, your your Essex captain in those last two games has just thrown you the ball at the beginning of the innings and said, right, that's your end. Yeah, I think um, I've become used to bowling a lot of overs. Uh, I think I started off just holding up an end, but as I got sort of more belief and backing from the captains that I've played with, it's kind of become a role that I've become accustomed to. So, yeah, I, I enjoy lo- sort of bowling long spells. I think you can sort of start to manipulate situations and set up your overs and your spells differently when you're bowling for longer periods. If you're bowling patches of three or four overs or two overs before lunch, it becomes very difficult to try and set up a batter, but over an extended period of time, you you get more opportunity to do that. So it's something that I've enjoyed and, and I've thrived on, on the opportunity. So hopefully um, a few more of those spells are serious. The other thing that you've said on a number of occasions is that you just run up and spin it as much as possible and see what happens. But even I can see you working out batsman. I can see the the um, the intricacy of the of the plans that that you have. Um, uh, but I mean, you do bowl a lot of overs, but you're also pretty canny, aren't you? I think as an off spinner, you know, you you limited being an orthodox spinner in in what you can do, do in terms of variation. I think leg spinners have a lot more in their locker to try and deceive the batter. Whereas for me, I think you need to be smart in how about you how you go about your business, um, the paces that you use, the lines that you bowl. So yeah, I think over time I've I've come to understand off spin bowling a little bit better and and seen how different batters react to sort of different variations in spin or pace. Um, or lines so yeah I think it, it is a little bit more um, of an art sort of learning about the intricacies of, of off-spin bowling but yeah I'm, I'm, I really enjoy it there's nothing better than standing at the top of your mark and and getting into a battle with the batter I think that's when I really thrive is, is getting into the competition. The really prolific off-spinners over the years, um, there's been a magic ball, there's been a, a carom ball or a doosra or something. Have you just kept yours secret? Yeah, um, maybe it's coming later on in my career. But um, yeah, I've, I've done pretty well so far with, with what I offer. I'm obviously always looking to add subtle variations. I don't think it's ever going to be me running up and bowling a leg, a leg spinner. Um, but, you know, it's, you've got to keep evolving. And I think if, if you sit still and you become static, that's when um, you sort of, I think, lose form and, and, and things happen pretty quickly. So I'm always trying to look to evolve and, and trying to add a few more things to, to my armory. An area of your game that is spoken about is your batting, um, and you've got better and better. It's something that you've worked incredibly hard at, judging by the numbers alone. Yeah, it's something I think that I've come to realise that if I did want to um, sort of set my stall up in the national setup, my batting was going to be probably the difference. I think everybody knows what I offer with the ball, but if I can bring in um, an element with my batting as well, I think um, it offers the team 
a hell of a lot more than just the bowling option. So I've been working really hard with, with Justin Sammons and, and Neil McKenzie while he's here um, and something during the county season that I've sort of set goals for myself to try and make sure that my batting is moving forward and that I am getting better and, and I'm ready for the opportunity when it presents itself. T20 leagues around the world um, are currently the subject of conversation amongst cricket people all over the world. I mean, forgive my ignorance, but why aren't you being mentioned a bit more? I mean, you led Essex to the Vitality Blast final, I mean, the, you, the, the title. Um, so so why, why aren't you featuring in these leagues around the world? I think a lot of them happen over the county season um, and a lot of them happen over red ball periods within the county season and um, as you and I both know the counties um, put a big price tag on their red ball cricket. Um, it's something that's very important to the county so it's very difficult to get away during those times. So I'm hoping that there's going to come a time in my career where I can sort of express myself in, in the T20 leagues around the world, um, but it is what it is for the moment. Um, but I, I think that's sort of my next challenge is, is to challenge myself to try and make statements in, in those sort of leagues. I know you've spoken about this many, many times, but just sum up um, the, the talk about you qualifying for England when you were a Colpac player. I mean... Again, I, I read the other day that you, you weren't allowed to play recreational cricket, club cricket. Can you, can you explain those years? Yeah, so when we initially, us as Colpac, signed the Colpac agreement, the visa that we were put onto those days didn't count to apply for indefinite leave to remain. So a normal chartered accountant that would come over from South Africa and work in London would be put on a tier two visa and immediately those days start counting towards your indefinite leave to remain and once you've done your days over a five-year period you can then apply for indefinite leave to remain and after 18 months you then get your passport that's on a tier two so only the coaches were allowed to be on a tier two so somebody like Alan Donald, Andre Nell they were allowed to be on a tier two visa they could be on a multi-year visa and their days would count towards a passport whereas for the players we were on a tier five and you were basically a glorified tourist. You were allowed to play county cricket, but that was it. Your days didn't count towards a passport. You're not entitled to any um, state benefits. So if my wife was to give birth, um, she, the sort of government um, maternity leave, she wouldn't be able to get any of that. Um, all of the sort of government stuff that's happening at the moment, you're not entitled to any of that. You weren't allowed to play recreational cricket. I wasn't allowed to start a company. Um, I wasn't allowed to do commentary or punditry work. So you literally were allowed to play county cricket and that was it. So it was extremely frustrating, but those were the rules that the ECB have put in place. And I see now that the ECB is now cutting down the amount of years that an overseas pro is allowed to sign. So I got a message this morning to say that they say that you're only allowed to do a one-year deal now at your club, where I'd heard it was a two-year deal. And I think it's well known that I signed a four-year extension with Essex at the end of last year. So you just kind of roll with the punches. I don't really understand the logic behind it. Um, I think I've made a significant contribution to Essex um, in terms of on-field and off-field stuff. Um, and I think that my four-year deal is warranted. Now all of a sudden, um, somebody's turning around and saying, no, actually, sorry, you can only sign for a year. So I don't quite understand it, um, but I'm definitely going to find out a little bit more about it and, and find out how, how these things are, are, are decided, uh, what committees are sitting on these decisions. But 
at the end of the day, I've, I've got to play cricket and, and if I want to get a passport, I'm going to have to seek work after cricket. And finally, you've had some strong words to say in support of county cricket and particularly the championship and, you know, the talk of it being reduced and, and these four formats and, you know, the, the Sir Andrew Strauss's review into the, into the county game. Um, you, you still feel that the championship should be sacrosanct? Absolutely. I think if you look where Test cricket is at the moment, um, the crowds that it's drawing, the viewership that it's drawing, there's so much T20 cricket happening now. And as you said earlier, these leagues are popping up everywhere. And somewhere along the line, a format is going to take its toll. It's going to take its toll on the format. And it's, it's leading towards 50 over cricket, in my opinion, because... It's the longest format of white ball cricket and with all these T20 leagues. So I think there's always going to be space for test cricket. Um, I think after the Ashes, everything was wrong with English cricket. It was the balls. It was the, like, the structure within the divisions, two divisions, three divisions. And I think England cricket has shown that actually there's not a lot wrong. Um, and, and they've come out and, and played with the aggression that they have. And, and come from behind and won. So you, you can't tell me that in the space of three months that so much has tamed, ch- changed in the county game. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a big advocate for, for county cricket, for Red Bull cricket, a big advocate for, for two divisions um, because you want strength versus strength and that's where you're going to pr- be producing your next crop of players to play for England. So... Yeah, I think there's some difficult decisions. Um, having four formats I don't think is um, sustainable in, in a domestic season. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, obviously it's not my, my decision to make, but that's just from a, a guy that's been playing counter cricket and, and how I see things. You said you would like a 1,000 first-class wickets, and you also said you're not a stats man. So how many first-class wickets do you have? I know I passed 800 the other day because uh, it came up on the scoreboard. My brother's the stats man. He's the academic. Um, so he he's always on my case about that sort of stuff but um, I know I've got a few more seasons to sort of try and get there um, hopefully the body can hold up and, and I can keep getting wickets and, and get over that line Get some more test wickets as well That's the plan if the opportunity presents itself I think um, it's one thing that I've really wanted to challenge myself at doing well domestically I've been craving to try and compete on the international stage so um, to have the opportunity to do that is, is something that I've been waiting for and I think I missed out in 2015 and hopefully I can take my chance this time around. Thanks for your time. Thanks, man. It's good to see you. Essex and South African off-spinner Simon Harmer um, chatting to me in Canterbury a little bit earlier this week. He's very impressive, um, Harmy. Um, I, it is so hard for, for English cricket lovers and particularly Essex cricket lovers, I guess, uh, to understand why he probably won't play at Lords. I don't think he'll play unless you know there's another injury to the fast bowlers and, and you know he would play almost by default but but Dean Elgar like I said is is old school traditionalist and he you know for him the South African way is is to play three seamers an all-rounder and one spinner that's what they do yeah that's what they do but on the other hand of that is if I'm Mark Boucher Dean, Dean Elgar I'm sitting there I'm thinking this bloke's got 350 wickets in the last five years in this country playing at places like Lords and and whatever, and I'm always intrigued when people think you, know, you don't play the spin at, at Lords. 
I disagree that with DRS and the way the systems come in. That slope is a huge benefactor to spin bowlers. You can't just rock forward and, and, and get your padding away because you're out. So I think sometimes spin bowlers are more important in the game, especially if the if the ground has got any sort of uh, any slope on it. And I've always believed that you know the the slope at Lords does help you know the slower bowlers. Whether they can pick him, yes, it's not the South African way, but. I'd be looking at that and going, our oh, ear side has just belted Maharaj. Yes, it's not in a test match, but he's gone for 1,469 off 22. Simon Harmer has got a, a little bit more of a, not a fear factor, but he, he's, been in the, he's been in the headlines for five years. The last two games, he's took nearly 30 wickets in two games <laughs> for Essex. You know, this bloke's in a bit of form. So I don't understand why you wouldn't pick him, but I can also understand why they're not going to pick him. And obviously, there is a lot of politics that goes with South African cricket and the makeup of their side will be determined on some key people who are fit and Kagisa Rabada is is one of them but if I was if I was picking the South African side um I'd be really really tempted and I think I probably would I'd play Simon Armour very useful number 8 as well mm. and uh, if Marco Janssen plays as the all-rounder he'll bat at 7 um, which is at least one place too high for him. Although he did make a very good 54 not out um, against uh, the Lions. Anyway, we'll talk more about team composition a little bit later. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll hear exclusively from Birmingham Phoenix batter Will Smead after he became the first player to score 100 in the 100. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and number one fast bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can always download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
Right, as promised, it's time now to hear from Birmingham Phoenix batter Will Smead, who became the first player in the short history of the 100 to score a 100 after he hit an unbeaten 101 off just 50 balls in their 53-round win over the Southern Brave on Wednesday. He's been speaking to TalkSport's Scott Taylor. Like I've said a few times, I just play game that's in front of me and I think all the opportunities that I'm being fortunate to have at the moment, I'd be silly to turn them down. They're so good for my game and being around the best white ball players in the world will also help my red ball cricket. So it's another great opportunity to go away and improve my cricket. So that's how I'll be looking at it. And um, yeah, hopefully I can put a few performances in, but I just focus on what I'm playing in and should the opportunity come up, that'd be awesome. But if it doesn't, then, then that's fine. I mean, yeah, it's just a development opportunity. It's not, I'm not going there with an eye on seeing that as my route into the IPL. I think any cricket I'm playing in, I'm just trying to do well. What was the overriding emotion when you passed that 100? Because obviously in the PSL, you got 99, you got 98 with Somerset last month. Was it just relief or ecstasy or a bit of both? More relief, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I think if I'd got a few more 90, like people would have started wondering if I would ever sort of get past it. So yeah, it was nice to get the first one out of the way and that's the first 100 I've got in a very long time as well. So, yeah, it was nice. And you mentioned about your interests away from the game and you don't tend to think about cricket. How important is that, say, when a run of form happens where you're not scoring the run you'd like, that you can just switch off and not be able to think about cricket? I think for me, it helps me stay level. Obviously, different people are different. And for some people, it might help them if they're sort of thinking about it a lot. It might help them, I don't know, it might give them confidence that they'll get out of that rut of form so yeah I think it's a very individual thing but for me it is nice because when you're not at cricket you're feeling normal you're not feeling down in the dumps because you haven't scored runs that day or it just helps distinguish sort of like your personal life from your sporting life as well in your career so yeah it's nice and just finally for me how was it with the Lions in the in the 50 over stuff last month and and did that fuel the fire to harbour those international ambitions it was obviously good fun and Nice to do well in the first game, but obviously everyone wants to play for their country, but I don't think that has any impact on how I play games, if that makes sense. I'm not playing these tournaments to play for England. I'm playing these tournaments to do well and improve at cricket. So hopefully one day that leads to me playing for England, but that's not why I'm playing in, in them. Somerset and Birmingham Phoenix batter Will Smead speaking to Talk Sports' Scott Taylor. Somehow, somewhere, from um, from whence I'm not sure, there's impression created that the 100 uh, was the making of Will Smead. <laughs> but I, I think Somerset would, would um, beg to differ. Yeah, I think Somerset fans would argue very strongly about that and would have a very, very good case... At doing it as well, because, look, uh, he, he's a f- special talent. I remember talking on, on one of our other programs about the in the blast and one to watch in the blast. And I said this young man because he's got a lot of things going for him in, in the shortest format of the game. He's got a great eye. His hands are excellent. He's got quick hands, very quick hands. Young player, very dynamic. Um, and he hits a good ball. He hits a long ball down the ground, which was... Yeah, evident in that in that Birmingham game. I was I was working on that game for for Talk Sport updating, and it was it was brilliant to see somebody create, like you say, even in short history, um, a young player on the same night as a you know, Henry Henry Brooks got five for another player of you know, very very good quality from um, an English 
a young England player, which was good to see. So that's been good from from the hundred point of view that we've given young players a chance to excel um, on a on a, a night where there was a lot of big name players playing in it. But I think this this kid has got you know, he has a bright future. He's twenty year old. He's got a chance to go on and play in for for higher honours. But just to say the hundred met him. There was a couple of journalists wrote that, and I think they quickly got shot down, especially by a lot of the Somerset membership, and rightly so. I tell you what, Will Jacks is yet another one of those players that makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck for all the right reasons. Um, and his uh, unbeaten 108 off just 48 balls, becoming the second 100 scorer as the Oval Invincibles beat uh, Southern Brave by seven wickets. He's He's just a, a fabulous mm. cricketer. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the franchises, um, as we did last week. You know, the, the International League T20 with a dozen overseas players. Just still boggles the mind, that. And the, the Cricket South Africa T20 League, which is still has yet to be officially named. But, um, yeah, so Will Smead has joined Samit Patel and Jordan Thompson. Uh, they've joined the Mumbai Indians Emirates. I understand that should be pronounced My Emirates in the UAE 2020 League. Brad Wheel and uh, Baz de Lierda, the Netherlands all-rounder and Scotland fast bowler, also picked in the, the My Emirates squad. Um, but the big news for me, and not just for me, I'm sure for lots of cricket fans, was Trent Bolt being asked to re- be released by, uh, from his New Zealand central contract. He's 33 years old. He's at the top of his game. There's absolutely no sign of his powers waning. Um, but he wants to, well, spend more time with his family, um, ostensibly. But, you know, it, presumably that means his family can travel with him and stay with him because he wants to play all these domestic T20 leagues. And he, he is going to be playing in the Emirates. Yeah, it's a shame for international cricket, shame for test cricket, that Trent Bolt won't play as much. It'll be, It's going to be interesting to see how the dynamics of that works, whether... That's it. Trent Bolt is retired from international cricket and no longer plays for New Zealand. He's not. He's available for selection. Yeah. But he, it, both he and New Zealand have both said you can't expect to be selected as much. If yeah. It, if it and I think that that's what I mean by the sort of intrigue by how it works because New Zealand have been very good at the franchise world around the uh, around the world in in such a way of letting their players play and organising their own structural cricket, international cricket around these big tournaments to make sure, well, we can't pay you a lot in centrally contracts, but we can give you the windows and opportunities to go and earn money elsewhere. And I think from Trent Bold's point of view, Tim Southey and, and Kim Williamson and quite a few others have been able to go to the IPL and these other franchise leagues around the world and top up their central contracts because New Zealand have, have looked after their calendar in that way. So that's fine and to a point, but... I think the worrying thing is he is a superstar, a little bit like Ben Stokes when it comes to the ODI cricket. We are slowly but surely seeing worrying signs for international cricket that the franchise leagues are going to take over and not just the leagues. It's not the leagues for me. It's the actually who is. So you can have 10 leagues, but actually you're not. You've not got 10 leagues. You've got eight teams because Mumbai Indians are going to have a team in every single league. So all of a sudden, if we have got one franchise owning, like we mentioned we mentioned in the last two or three shows, Manners, in the last weeks, that are we going to go back to the, the international football, international rugby, where you are going to be owned by your franchise and given back to your international country whenever your, your franchise isn't playing? And that would be a worrying sign. I don't think that's 
in the foreseeable, I think that might be 10 years, five, 10 years away. But at this minute in time, when you're taking big names, big name players out of international cricket, then slowly but surely you're devaluing the brand and then the brand becomes no more or not as not as powerful, not as much. It's only four years away. It'll happen after the next Future Tours program. That's one of the reasons the Future Tours program has been delayed and delayed and delayed mm. the next four-year cycle of international fixtures. But in 2027, there'll just be short ICC windows for ICC events if they carry on with the Champions Trophy, but there'll be a T20 World Cup, a 50-over World Cup, and very, very small windows to play two test series. Mm. The Ashes will, uh, I think, remain the same for the next 100 years. <laughs> I can't see that ever changing. Mm. But, uh, but the, the small seven nations, India will play, well, it depends whether you know, people like Virat Kohli are, are still involved. Um, I think their appetite for test cricket uh, may well change in the years to come. But England and Australia uh, are going to be the only two teams, I reckon, who will be playing five test matches in a series. Uh, and everyone else, it'll be, there'll be no warm-up games. I, I, I'm, no. Honestly, Harmy, I, I walked around the Canterbury, um, around the boundary, and I looked at the people with their deck chairs and their packed lunches, and I thought, this could be the last time you see a touring team. Yep, not only that, but also if we go back to the South Africa, this could be the last test series. South Africa's international test match team could play as we know it because all of a sudden their players are going into franchise franchise units and their units will pay them a lot more money than Cricket South Africa will do to play test match cricket. This Will this be one of the last times we'll see South, Af- South Africa field a, a bowling unit of Kagisa Rabada, Enric Nokia? Lungi and Gidi because of their value in in the shortest format of the game their franchises won't want them to get injured playing you know we've seen this week none of them played going into that first test match so look I, I think boards have got to be stronger here as well I looked at Cricket Australia it's it's easy for England because in England we are one of the only Northern Hemisphere countries to play um, cricket at that time of the year so our players will be able to go and pick choose leagues in the southern hemisphere in our winter time but all of a sudden big decision for cricket australia chris lynn are they going to block him from going and playing in the in the international league in the uae how over? can they how does that work how can they, they block him well they can say we'll not give you an noc that's what pakistan are starting to say that's what sri lanka are starting to say we will stop your noc no obligation certificate to, to say you are not you you are part of this or you're not part of this cricket australia so at the end of the day it's a bit manners we're going down the live tour golf route where franchise cricket is going to be owned by eight teams, like Live Golf is owned by however many teams. The you know, the, oh, there's loads of them. And this is a complicated thing that we, we don't even want to go down. But if we are going to be owned, I'll have 10 franchise leagues run and owned by Mumbai Indians, Rajasthan Royals, Delhi, um, Bangalore. All these teams have got their their teams in these leagues around the world their players are going to be owned by them, then all of a sudden players might have to retire from playing cricket in their own nations to go and be part of this group and be part of right Mumbai Indians. You can't play play in Cricket Australia, can't play in the ECB because at the end of the day, if the board stays strong and say, we're not going to give you an NOC, then you can't go and play in that league. That's That's what Sri Lanka have more or less said about their players. You have to retire from playing or 
you can't get an NOC to go and represent somebody to play at the same time as when we're playing. And I think that's the big thing. England's fine. ECB, there's not many tournaments going on around the world The IC, when the hundreds on or the blasts on. But there are a lot of tournaments going to be played in a short space of time. South Africa, UAE, Big Bash. All these tournaments are going to be on. And it's going to be a little bit of a fight to get players to play in these tournaments, especially when you're looking at 12 overseas players in the in the, it, the international league. And all of a sudden, if Chris Lynn, because I'm, I'm using Chris Lynn as an example because he seems to be the one that that his name's cropped up and whether he is going to get blocked or, or, or whatever. If he is getting, a just say for instance, a 50 grand contract in Brisbane or a 150 contract, grand contract in the International League. He's one of going to go and play in the International League. But then all of a sudden, that starts devaluing Cricket Australia's big bash league. So they are, rightly so, trying to protect that. And they're not going to let him go. The only way he can go is if he foregoes everything he has in Cricket Australia and goes and signs as a freelancer to play around the world and not play in his own country. Well, the South African franchises uh, were allowed to sign five players um, outside of the, the auction, and uh, they've all been very busy. Joss Butler, Obed McCoy, David Miller, all signing for the Pal Royals, Rajasthan Royals. Reese Topley, Quinton de Kock, Jason Holder, Kyle Mayers, picked up by the Durban franchise, that's the Lucknow Super Giants. Hanrich Norkia, Dwayne Pretorius, Pretoria Capitals, and the, Mum- the sorry, the, the Mumbai Indian Cape Town. My Cape Town have signed Liam Livingston, Sam Curran, Kahisa Rabada, Rashid Khan, and Diervolt Brevis. Now, he's an interesting one. Is he ever going to play for South Africa? Has he ever got? Has he got any desire to play for South Africa? I could probably answer that better than you. But uh, the my point is, he was signed, as you remember, by the Mumbai Indians yeah. from the Under Nineteen World Cup before he'd played a single game of franchise cricket, never mind first class cricket. And now, you know, he's putting out awkward videos on social media on on Twitter, saying, you know, my beloved Mumbai Indians family. Is he? I mean, he's he's the future, isn't he? He's, he is. and there'll be more players like that from other countries. Absolutely, hundred percent. But the, the names that you haven't, there's what not one person you haven't mentioned from Australia who have got the big bash on at the same time. So, and they will be offering a lot more money than the Australians. But yeah, Brewers is another one. The Smead, the the, the long list of. 20 to 22, 23-year-olds who aren't going to be heard of in their own countries because their fortune, their riches is going to be in franchise leagues around the world. And are we going to miss this that generation of players playing the longer format of the game? And I'm not even talking about Test Match cricket, probably just talking about 50-over cricket because at the minute, with that 16.4-over competition that's going on at the minute and a few other shorter-format competitions going on at the minute, 50-overs will be a long, long time for some of these players. Let's start part four with uh, the sad news of the passing of, of Rudy Kurtzen, who uh, died in a horrendous car crash in his native uh, Eastern Cape, uh, just outside uh, Port Elizabeth. Um, he was a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous character, very popular, tough as nails, of course. But I think he was very widely respected, wasn't he, Harmy? You must have some decent memories of the great man. Yeah, he was a brilliant man. He was great. He was great fun to bowl with. You always, yeah, you know, he, he, he teach you a few African swear words and a few <laughs> African words, and a lot of it was you big useless so and so get back off that line, which was, which was um. I, I don't think you would be able to say it now because I think you get picked up on the stump mic. But uh, what a wonderful man! A great man to talk to. Great man to share experiences with a beer with after a day's player or in between obviously you've 
when you when you go away from home, you you're in hotels and largely down to the whole teams are in these hotels and. When I'm talking about teams, that's umpires and officials as well. So you get to spend a bit of time away from the game with them. Um, he had a great heart. And like you say, yeah, he was tough as old boots, but he was somebody who was great to bowl with. And yeah, that, that slow trigger finger throughout 2005 was 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 brilliant. You knew it was coming and you, you'd finished your celebration before you'd actually given somebody out because you could just see the finger coming from round the side and as soon as you'd seen the twitch, that was it. You were up and you were celebrating. Along with Steve Buckner in that series, um, they were good friends to England and talking about Afrikaans, yeah, he, he spoke a lot with KP during that series in Afri- Afrikaans, basically telling us what to, what we were doing wrong. But a great man, a sad, obviously, obviously sad and you know, we're thinking of his his family at a at a at a at a, at a horrendous time, but nothing but good love for for Rudy. Um, and he was somebody who I enjoyed bowling with. And he was uh, he will he will he was sorely missed when he when he retired. And he was uh, yeah he was a, a popular character. What about you? Because you'll have spent some time with him as well over in South Africa, Manners. He once invited me um, to come and play golf with him. I think a test match finished early. Um, in Utenhague, his hometown, which is about 30 miles outside of Port Elizabeth, very blue collar. I mean, he's a, he was a fabulously grounded person who, um, you know, very modest beginnings. And um, he lived in the same house most, most of his life. And uh, I thought we'd have a beer afterwards. It was hot as hell in, uh, in Utenhague. And he said, no, 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 we'll come back to my house. And uh, his pride and joy in his house was uh, his uh, trophy room. It was like a man cave with a mm. bar and a pub and, and, you know, and a fridge. And we, uh, he said, come, come around, let's have a look around the house. And uh, we walked out the bar uh, into another bar and another man cave and another <laughs> trophy room. And then we went out of that one and there was a third bar and another, <laughs> and another man cave. And I said, Rudy, how, how did you design this house? He said, no, well... Every every three or four years, I couldn't believe I was still working for the ICC, and uh, and I didn't know what to do with all this money. So I, bu- I built built me another 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 bub, another I bought me bar. a bigger bar. Yeah, <laughs> I just got up my estimation even more by building three bars in his house. Right? Oh, it was absolutely. They're all around the pool as well. I mean, just fabulous, fabulous man. Uh, terrific stuff. Moving on, England women head uh, England's women head coach uh, Charlotte Edwards has been lined up to replace Lisa Kitely, who's, uh, who's left the position. Edward says that uh, she needs a bit of time to, to reconsider, and that's fair enough. Yeah, and I think, I think natural progression would be Charlotte. I think she's got a huge amount of respect in the game from what she did as a player, the way she talks about the game, um, and her coaching ability in the game. So I think that would be the natural natural way to go. Um, Lisa Kiteley's done a fantastic job. Um, and I think it's worth putting on record that she was leaving the role before the Commonwealth Games. It wasn't anything to do with anything in the Commonwealth Games, why, again, why Lisa was, was leaving the, the role. And I think when you look forward and you look upwards, I think I think natural progression would be, would be Charlotte because she gives a level of respect that what she achieved in the game would be somebody that I'm sure I'm sure the players would look up to. Okay, um, Jason Roy, uh, it's got to the laugh or cry stage now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's great, isn't it? And I love it when people write pe- write proper players off, good players off. Jason's having a time. He is. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's even nicking off to his daughter in the back garden, <laughs> and I think she's only about two or three. Um, it'll turn. 
I've got no doubt it'll turn. And I think when people are looking, and a lot of people are talking about the Alex Hills, whether we can ignore them anymore to come in. And I, I think that's a, a fine argument. It's a good argument. But I think if you're asking me um, with a selector's hat on who I would take to the next ICC global event, which is the World Cup T20 in Australia, I'd sit Jason Roy down now and say, you're going, Matt. Don't worry about what's going on at the minute. Just go out there. Try and get yourself into some form. Keep doing and working hard on your game. But you will open a baton in Australia. It's no not, problem whatsoever. It's not like he's tentatively nicking off. I mean, no, uh, he, no. You know, he smashed one to mid-wicket the other it, day and went out for naught as well. <laughs> and it's such a... And he, he must think everything, everything is against him. But from somebody who has, has been in places like that and everything has been against you... It turns quickly, and it will for Jason. He is in, he, he plays such a role in this side that because he goes hard at it and he has to go hard at it, these, are gonna, these things are going to happen. Keep believing, which I'm sure he does. He's played over 100 and odd times in, in, in the shortest format cricket. He's an experienced boy. He understands that. He needs to keep trying to hit the ball because that's what his team needs of him. Um, and it will turn and it will come good. And when it does come good, I'm sure as many noughts as he's having at the minute, he'll turn them into 40s, 50s and 60s. And hopefully it's in the middle of a tournament. And if it does, if it turns for him in that tournament... Because of the way he plays, and he goes out first, he gives England a, he gives England a great chance, and that I would am backing Jason Roy to be the number one in that World Cup squad, and I'm backing him to go and do well in the World Cup squad as well. What about Hampshire? Thirteen wins in a row, twenty-two out of twenty-four games in all competitions. They must have a bigger squad than Manchester City. <laughs> they do well, aren't they? Which is great. They're giving a chance to some young players at this, at this minute in time. Well, all the. The, the sort of bigger names are off doing international cricket or, or the 100. Um, so it's it's fair play to, to the boys down at, at Hampshire and the, the, the coaching team. Got a great facility there. A nursery ground on the side. Great practice facilities for some of these young players to hone their skills and develop in. And it was always going to come good for Hampshire, especially the development stages, because of the facility that they got, that they're not going to like second team games or playing on outgrounds and practicing on club facilities. They're practicing on proper pitches. And I've said all along, if you can get kids that between 13 and 17 to practice on good surfaces and play on good surfaces, then you've got the chance for them to, to fulfill their skills. And that nursery ground is what is helping Hampshire develop their, their good young players and long may that continue for the boys down there. Ireland, uh, after a summer of near misses and uh, and, and, and no, no cigar results, finally got uh, underway with a win against Afghanistan and New Zealand, a full-strength New Zealand with Kane Williamson back, um, won the T20 series in the Caribbean. I've got two, we've only got a minute left. Um, I wanted to ask you about your favourite uh, home test against South Africa. Uh, do that very quickly, and then I'm not sure if you're aware of who I'm going to give the last word this week to. <laughs> not sure on that one, but I, I've got, you mentioned it earlier when you asked us the, the quiz question at the end of sec section one. I've got loads of good memories playing against South Africa. The one KP brought us back and um, gave me the first ball, and it was a little bit different to the one that, in Brisbane. First ball of the test match, Alistair Cook dropped an absolute dolly at, <laughs> at golly off Graham Smith. But it has to be the old man's retirement. Alex Stewart, the Test match, Martin Bicknell, 
Pickers is in social media at the minute, having a few arguments with Don Topley, which is brilliant to see. Uh, keep that one going, Bickers, and fight the good fight for the longer format of the game. But Martin Bicknell came back into the, that side. Alex Stewart's last test match, um, when we drew the series, I think it was 2-2. I think I managed to get a few wickets in the second innings. I've got a good one against a hero of mine at the, at the time, which was Gary Kirsten. So probably that one, because that was my sort of baptism into international cricket. OK, um, a month ago or so, uh, a fifer at uh, county level. And just to prove that he's not following in the footsteps of his old man, a maiden 50 this week for Charlie Harmison. Yeah, he did. He 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 got he got he dropped the catch. He dropped the coat and bowled for 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 five five wickets in the same game. He got four for twenty something. So he bat he played nicely. He batted nicely as well. When I must admit, man, as I nearly got the call to go and play, that's how short they were. Pendleton second team on Saturday. So unfortunately, I stayed on the golf course. And by the time I got to the game, he had or he already had one wicket. He got three at the end, so he got his four for and then. He um, he opened a bat and then managed to bat all the way through to get his team over the line. When they were in a little bit of a relegation fight, now this should be safe. All round a status for Charlie Holmes. <laughs> That's just way. all round at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmson. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back next week at the same time to look back at the first test Uh, but just a reminder there'll be daily following on podcasts after each day's play of the first test so look out for those as well this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism and this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan with eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 